so welcome back into uh, doing it for Bartello. This is episode number three. I'm sitting in my friend at Taylor's apartment in Boston. A pretty shitty day outside in Boston. So this is the first non uh, non sports writer interview thing that I'm doing on this. Allegedly. Allegedly. I, I think I think you could you could call me an, an amateur sports writer <laughs> if you wanted to. If you want to put me in uh, put me in that pantheon of your your previous guests. Uh, we had uh, Mina Khan's Jay Casman King on the previous episodes. So if you haven't listened to this before, um, if you haven't listened before and you're listening to this, I'm not sure how you found it. So <laughs> good good on you. Um, We'll be talking about a variety of things. I mean, the first thing I want to talk about, though, is, uh, is Peyton Manning and the, uh, the whole HGH saga that's going on right now that broke with the uh, Al Jazeera report. Um, it's, it's the n- number two uh, QB scandal of the year. Yes. <laughs> the it, is, it is the number two QB scandal of the year, and I think, I think it's a, a fun way to start talking about it is the reaction on Twitter to Al Jazeera being the source. Oh my, yes. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. It just, if, if you look through any, any uh, ESPN writer who hates trolls on Twitter and the amount of responses that they got about Al Jazeera being like a, like a terrorist <laughs> organization, <allegedly, laughs> or like not even knowing enough English to be allowed to report the Or source. some people being like, Al Jazeera is equal to Al- Al-Qaeda. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it's, it's just a, re- it, it, it hurts on some very profound level to... Because, like, the amount of xenophobia that comes inherently with this is just so terrible. And it's just so funny that, that we care so much about defending our athletes that like the first the first reaction is to to lash out against the news source, you know, and then call them a bunch yeah, of terrorists. People weren't mad at Peyton. People were mad because Al Jazeera sounds like Al Qaeda, and, <laughs> and the only reason is the word Al, which means the <laughs> exactly. Which I I mean, well, I, I think we can count that those people did not know that, um, but yeah. I think, if but I mean, also it also it also like means a lot as to as to Peyton Manning standing among the the national media and and fans and his perception and and what people think of him. I think, and I I think yes, objectively, it does mean a lot. However, I don't think it should mean a lot because in a situation where, and I think you said this on Twitter where. You're dealing with a, a spinal injury that, conceivably, if it had gone wrong, could have left him very seriously injured. Yeah, like, not even just for like uh, football purposes, uh, yeah, for hit, life purposes. A hit could have like possibly made him paraplegic or right. something like that. I don't know which worst case scenario. Yeah, which vertebra was injured? You know, which but this part is this is like this is his spine. This is like serious yeah, exactly. stuff. Is, so I think first off. To to give a more conservative version of my opinion, I think that if your injury is that serious, it doesn't matter if you use HGH because it's a naturally produced hormone, you know, that's going to help you heal. But second off, which is an opinion that a lot of people don't like that I tend to express, is that obviously... Everyone in the NFL is on HGH. I think I think you're being naive if you don't think that. Yeah, because everyone is huge, almost. Inhumanely, I mean, just so. look at old Ron Landry and his uh, his biceps <laughs> that are the size of like a normal person's head. LeBron Landry, the NFL's official steroid scapegoat, and then pretty much anyone else. I mean, John Beeson, who can't stay on the field for more than I mean, not to call out John Beeson, but I mean, 
I'm a Giants fan, so I'll call it someone on my own team, I guess. But just like there's just an endless stream of oh, Ronnie like, Harrison. Ronnie Harrison was a Patriot. He's Harrison, one of my favorite players. James Harrison. Speaking of Harrisons, <laughs> um, the talk about rage. You know, like you you just you you get all these guys and like why wouldn't they do HVH? Why, I mean, like, it's just the nature of the NFL and the nature of football. Like inherently, people are going to get roughed up. It's a long season. It's a really, really physical sport. Like, people are going to get injured. And from my understanding, HGH is probably one of the best, if most illegal, ways of dealing with that. Right. It helps you recover. It helps you regrow. And, the, and the thing is with athletes is that they have such a short period of time to make money. Oh, yeah. Especially it's so in compressed. Like, it's, like, yeah, we see athletes making like $20 million <clears throat> a year. But that $20 million has to work for them for the rest of their lives. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And that, I mean, that's a, that's something that doesn't really get talked about enough. And I, I, actually, Sean Avery wrote something for the Players' Tribune earlier this year about that, about how if you're really smart, because NHL, a lot of guys come in on minimum contracts and never really get out of Right, and contracts. the thing is, the NHL, uh, as an example, is a super physical sport, and the oh, high yeah. salaries aren't that high. Yeah, um, and that's another sport where... Mike Lee, who's an average player, makes just as much money as, like, Evgeny Malkin, like... Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, like the top salary in the NHL is around ten million, whereas in in Maybe. baseball you can if you pitch it is going to Bryce Harper's right. going to get forty million in free yeah, agency. If, if you pitch four point eight ERA ball as a pitcher these days, you're going to get multiple years at ten million at least year. at the very yeah. minimum and trending upwards every single year. But and I also think baseball players are on HGH, but that's a whole different discussion. <laughs> but I think that it's this bizarre thing. And it ties in with people attacking Al Jazeera, is that we need to think of our athletes as clean. Sports is this sacred thing where it's like it's like someone saying that there's no Santa Claus. Like you just once you once you take the clean illusion away, what do you have to believe in? These people aren't so great anymore. They're they're quote unquote well, cheaters. Yeah. But are they are they really cheaters? If Everyone's doing I think, it. But I also think that this has to do with how how people in America put athletes on a pedestal and how they oh, view yeah. them as as modern day superheroes. Yeah, um, in the world too. I mean, look at even even more so. Like Messi is is the is, Messiah. is a demigod <laughs> yeah. in Europe. Uh, like when I was in Spain this summer, like you brought up Messi or you brought up Ronaldo. Uh, my house, like when I was living in Madrid this summer, like I would bring up like as like small talk at our first couple of dinners. Like I don't know that much about Spain, so I'm like, oh, Ronaldo, and. My house mom basically just like collapsed in her chair at the, at the like the mention of Ronaldo because yeah. he's so handsome. Yeah, and he's also good at soccer. Yeah, and imagine imagine if Ronaldo was as they would as they would say in Europe doping, quote unquote. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, I can't imagine the fallout. I think Lisbon might just implode from the inside. I mean, from my perspective, though, with with all the Peyton Manning stuff, like I. For me, I mean, we obviously have no idea whether or not he's doing it. And we've had athletes go on the record a bazillion times saying, like, I'm not doing HGH. And I'm we'll never know. And we'll never know unless there's some sort of concrete <laughs> evidence that leaks out. Uh, my perspective as a New England fan and after watching Tom Brady go go through the go through all the shit that he did with Deflategate is uh, is just watching the, the hypocrisy in the media um, and seeing, like, the Indianapolis media being like, oh, you got to... You gotta wait out until until all the evidence comes out with Peyton Manning. We can't we can't make any judgments yet when when you're looking at Tom Brady and they were like, oh, Patriots cheater. Tom Brady had a clean record before that. It was all Bill Belichick stuff, and 
before Deflategate, like, there was nothing, Brady had never done anything wrong in his career. And I think, and not to be too much of a conspirator, but I think an effect of that is that this report was broken by Al Jazeera and not outside the lines and not... Adam Schefter. Yeah, not Adam Schefter. So, you know, what incentive really does ESPN have to blow this report up beyond all comprehension? Because it wasn't really theirs, you know? Like, they're not... They're not taking it from the ground up, so, like, if it's not their baby, like, why should they invest as much as they can into hyping it up? Right, and you have to realize that, like, ESPN basically dictates the conversation in sports today. Oh, yeah. Um, they have three, four, five, six, a bazillion news channels. They have yeah. domination over Twitter. They have yeah. uh, all the all the big reporters, and Chris Morrison is obviously very super powerful, and Adam Schefter is super powerful. Yeah, and if, if ESPN <laughs> wants to bury you... As they have shown, they can tr- they can do they can a pretty do good job trying to bury you. As like, I mean, they can't really they can't turn a Patriots fan against Brady, but they can turn pretty, pretty much, much anyone anybody else, else right against, against anybody. And obviously, like, I'm not I'm not one of those people in the Boston media that's going to be like uh, ESPN's the devil. Like, I hate ESPN because I think that a lot of a lot of stuff that ESPN does is incredibly res- uh, respectable and highly regarded. And there's a lot of really great people. Yeah, uh, and you and, can't you can't really pick and choose. To a degree, you can't really pick and choose media outlets to criticize for stuff like that because it, in this day and age, with the everybody's immediacy, in the bed with everybody, yeah, and then with things as immediate as they are and accessible as they are, and kind of clickbait journalism on the rise, like everyone does it, right? Even the best sources do it, you know. Like we can we can throw Fox News under the rug. We don't have to talk about them; <laughs> they're evil. But like to call an ESPN evil. You can't really do that, because it's like, then where do you draw the line? Everyone's evil, you know? Everybody wants traffic. Yeah, At the end exactly. of the day, everybody needs to make money. This yeah. is a you want money-making business. Business. you want clicks, and it's just, I mean, it's the same thing as, I mean, it's the same thing as the NFL. NFL wants eyeballs. They want clicks. Right. The thing that I've really found interesting with the Manning stuff is that uh, he's, he's emphatically denied that uh, he took, or he broke NFL rules during this time period, but he never really denied that his wife got HGH. That she was actually shipped the HEH. He's right. he's denied everything except for that, basically, hmm. which that I think is might be the, the one loophole to actually pre- prevent himself from. Uh, I don't know. I hadn't heard about that. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's. Um, I mean, Peyton Manning has always been kind of the, the golden boy. I think. It, be, I yeah. mean, Tom Brady. Tom Brady was dragged through the mud with Deflake and everything, but I think Manning was always held in higher regard because he came from. The Manning legacy, and he has the family, and he has well, his dad is Archie Manning. He was, I mean, he was the guy who, he was the guy who was supposed to come in and be a star and he was revitalize the, the franchise, right. and he did. He was, he, he was, was the messiah, everything for Indianapolis. Yeah. yeah, and he's also like, if you if you want to sell something during an NFL game, you call up Peyton Manning. You want to sell Buicks. You want to sell progressive? Pizza? Yeah, you want to sell Pop- Papa John and Peyton Manning. Maybe Papa John was the one giving Peyton Manning the HGH. We don't know. <laughs> it's a conspiracy. It, 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 could, it could be. Like, he could have been buying it. Papa John is low-key starting an HGH business that, we, that we're all finding out about now. I, am, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Papa John's pizza had GMOs, you know? <laughs> In fact, I would say that that's probable at this point. Um... I mean, it, and it's, it's just it's uh, it, it'll be interesting to see what kind of investigation the NFL does on this too, because they've been so all over the place over the last couple of, uh, 
not not just months, but years with with their discipline. Whether it's been particularly the last few, yeah. uh, w- whether it's been with the the concussion stuff and the deliberate hits or Deflate Gate or however many things, uh, they've been so so all over the place, and it's just hard to kind of place your finger as to what they're going to be doing uh, in terms of discipline on any given incident. Yeah, and I I think in all likelihood we're gonna we're gonna see Peyton probably retire at the end of this year. Osweiler is gonna. I mean, Osweiler's gonna start in the playoffs. Yeah, he's gonna, he's, he's playing gonna too be, well to, to not. Yeah, he's to gonna not start. He's gonna be their playoff quarterback, and then Peyton is gonna pretty anticlimactically retire. And maybe that's for the best because with where he's at right now, not playing, not playing well when he was playing, it'll just allow him to fade out without really this controversy coming to a head. Because it doesn't really seem like anyone wants this controversy to blow up. Nobody I mean nobody wants to nobody wants to not view Peyton Manning as a as this football demigod. Yeah, because it's like then I mean, then who do we have? You know? Who, right. nationally, who do we have? Because right. nationally people don't like, like Brady. Tom Brady. And he's got everything. He's yeah. got he's got the he's got Giselle Bunchin, he's got the the family, he's got the Super Bowls, he's handsome, like he has everything. He's the yeah. Uggs the Uggs, all the Uggs. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean nobody wants to, to view Tom Brady in that light. Um, be, yeah. Beyond the the New England area, um, yeah. I mean Manning is that guy. There's a there's a reason why he he's selling everything. Uh, I think JJ Watt might be that next guy. I mean he's starting to sneak into that those Papa John commercials. Yeah, JJ Watt might just be the next guy. If if maybe a little more of an an annoying and you know, he's got more of a punchable face. <laughs> Not yeah. that I would go up to JJ Watt and punch his punch him in the face. <laughs> I don't think that would be a good. Actually, he's such a nice guy. He'd probably just he'd probably just brush it off, and <laughs> I think he'd spare you or me. But yeah, I I think we're definitely gonna. I think the worst consequence of this thing is maybe companies will transition away from Peyton, but I don't really think. But the so. thing is, like, I feel like Peyton Manning after his career, <laughs> he could do however many like he could. He could host a late night talk show because he's got like oh, yeah. that ca- cachet nationally. Yeah, um, I, he, mean, th- I mean, he, he could easily become hand. like he could be a straight hand. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And he's in terms of national fame, he's a hundred times more than what Strahan was at the end of his career. Right, and and Strahan nobody is expected a successful Strahan. host right now. Strahan, you know? Nobody expected straight. Everybody expected Tiki Barber to be that guy. Yeah, um, and that <laughs> that, that <laughs> completely flamed out. Happened, yeah. um, but Strahan became this national. He's Michael and Kelly, and, the, yeah, exactly. and he's Good Morning America, and and the NFL. He's he's beyond just a former jock now. He's this this mega host. And I'd like to speculate that Strahan might just have used HGH as well (laughs) at some point in his career, you know? And and, and And this is coming from a Giants fan, too. And look at how well he's doing now, you know? I just, yeah. I I don't, in short, I don't think this is really going to affect Peyton that much because the powers that be... Don't want him to fail. Yeah, as as of December 29th, 2015... They have not chosen to make him fail yet, right? And we have we have not thrown Peyton under the bus yet, and really, it's not in it's not really even in the day to day like media stream anymore. I feel like like I feel like it broke like a week ago, and we're already kind of over it. It broke a couple days ago, and it's just like it's just kind of faded away now. Yeah, I mean, that's been a thing uh, a couple days ago. Maybe it was yesterday. And it was like uh, nobody cares about the PD, PDs anymore. Yeah, which is like. I mean, for for a story like this to, like, if, <laughs> I hate to say this, but if Brady, <laughs> the same reported 
broken about Brady. The internet would have exploded. Maybe it would be just because, like, because Boston being such kind of a sports media hub itself would have defended him so hard, it would have become faded away. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, you can't really know, I guess. Yeah. But I I just think it's, like, it just doesn't seem like we want to bury Peyton. It doesn't seem like we want him to be guilty. Right. So I think we're just going to let him go, whether he's guilty or not. And and really, it, it doesn't matter. I want to come up with a bunch of hypotheticals as to what Peyton Manning can do after his career. Because I think this is really fun. Like, I, th- I feel like... I feel like he's going to host SNL at some point again. Oh, yeah. Um, for sure. He could easily become... What if he becomes, like, the next Ronald Reagan? Like, he becomes an actor, and then he becomes president. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that we'll see Peyton become president. Although he's probably... I'm assuming, as a guy from Louisiana, <laughs> from the background, he's from, that he's a Republican. He's probably a stronger candidate than anyone that they have right now, but I don't think that Peyton is going to be. There was a thing that was going around Twitter yesterday. I'm not, I don't think it was real, but it was a. It was a. Fa- I think it was a fake Ted Cruz promotion that was called Netflix and Chill. Oh, with Netflix Ted Cruz. and Chill. Yeah, that's. And that sounds like the worst thing. That... A hellacious nightmare of an evening is what that sounds like to me. I think Cruz might be like. There's so many unpersonal people in the Republican field this year. But Ted, oh, yeah. Ted Cruz is, like, near the... Like, Ted Cruz seems like that kid in school who consistently got uh, his head stuck in the toilet by people. Um, I don't even want to speculate about the the evils that made Ted Cruz the way he is today. Because, <laughs> it, you know, with, with Trump, you can say, like... You can kind of delude yourself into thinking, like, he can't be serious. Like, this guy's not a politician. He's a businessman. He's just in here... To make money, you know, like he's, sell he's books, doing what he is, yeah, to sell to sell or whatever the reality whatever show. he's trying to sell. Maybe he wants the Republican Party to pay him off, so he just gets the hell out of there and stops making them look so bad. But sneakily, Ted Cruz is just as bad, but he just doesn't do the big spectacles of saying that we shouldn't allow any. Mo- he just like quietly endorses sort of things like that, yeah. and he's just such a. He's just so behind the times and just such a, such a pest, you know? Like, he just, the way he, like, filibusters for, like, what was it, 48 hours straight or something? Just to, like, prevent progress from occurring in the country? Like it's that, just, that basically s- s- uh, sums up Ted Cruz's career. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's horrifying. Like, I remember the first time I heard, I, the first time I heard about Ted Cruz was in Poli Sci class that he did... A bizarrely long filibuster when we were being taught what filibusters meant, which I still don't fully understand. But I was just like, "Who the hell is this guy?" And and, and why? What, just why? And what did he spawn from? You know, what 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 dimension has he spawned from? Yeah. Um. But back to Peyton, I think I think maybe not Reagan, but I think we could definitely see like a a Newman esque. Type of Peyton, you yeah. know, like Peyton's got his own like Manning salad dressing. Oh you know? yeah, Manning salad dressing. Man- oh, yeah. uh, Manning Manning's salsa, own tomato sauce, Manning's own everything. Manning's uh, popcorn. Yeah, exactly. Manning's steakhouse. Manning's chicken parm. Manning's chicken parm. Perfect. Exactly. And I mean, Papa John's could just expand into the to the chicken parm business. They don't have to restrict themselves <laughs> to pizzas, you know? <laughs> exactly. And who would buy Peyton Manning Chicken Farm? This is a million dollar idea. I think we have to copyright it. And I think, yeah, I think we could get Peyton to come on Shark Tank with us. And I, I think the valuation of this, uh, 
this venture might just be in the millions. Yeah. You know? um, so, it, I mean, you're a big Giants fan. There have been a lot of rumors, uh, crazy dumb rumors swirling around Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, and this this kind of starts stemming from the... Uh, this is the real fun one. This is stemming from the, the Josh Norman saga that happened... Um, that, that happened uh, against the Panthers, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's... it's 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 really it's I, I think it's just dumb. Um, in essence, what the rumors are is that uh, <laughs> this is this is a headline on BET. Odell Beckham Jr.'s dance partner responds to gay rumors. The headline in it, within itself is just ridiculous. I think the fact that they refer to him as a dance partner is also a little bit. Re- I mean, like this is his college teammate and friend from LSU, who's known him for years. And the guys like to dance and make funny videos. I like to dance, for, too! For their millions of... Inst- Odell Beckham, as of this week, has three million Instagram followers. And, and at the end of the day... up his dance videos. And at the end of the day, aren't we just, aren't, aren't we just living for Instagram likes? Yeah, and I think, I think Odell's no different in that. And I think of, of any athletes, actually, if you're familiar with Odell's social media, he loves to post stuff, like, just for the benefit of his fans. Like, he's not really... Like, he posts some ads, that type of stuff, which we see with a lot of athletes, but he has probably... I would say that I, I'm I'm not exaggerating to say that he probably has 25 separate Instagram videos of him driving in his car, lip-singing to Drake. <laughs> like, let's just, let's just leave that there for a minute. Like... People didn't accuse him of anything after that. I mean, that's kind of weird, you know. The guy loves Drake. Are we accusing him of being in love with Drake? No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he just likes Drake. But like, Odell's dancing with one of his best friends. Suddenly, he's gay. Like, what, and what there's is like it? a big jump there. Yeah, in logic. exactly. There's a there's a huge gap, and it's amazing that the media outlets that are reporting this are spitting it like <laughs> almost under the assumption that he is gay. Which is such a big jump in logic to make. It's, it's a jump, and it also doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> Who cares? Just, like, if Odell was gay, like, cool, cool, I guess. Good for him. Yeah, like, that's it. like we've got a star young athlete who is, op- well, I mean, I guess he's not openly gay. If in this was. hypothetical world. Yeah, in this See, hypothetical. it's even spinning me into behaving as though it's the It's truth, true, but you know? it's not. Yeah. Like, we don't know. Yeah, and, like, even if he was, like, yeah, I guess that would be a positive, I mean... Maybe it wouldn't because he recently has behaved kind of terribly kinda in, in football games, yeah, but uh, charging people's heads with yeah. his helmet. His recent behavior would not reflect well upon his his new community. But <laughs> and then and then what? His hypothetical that? new community. Yeah, his hypothetical new community. But aside from that, like I, I just don't, I just don't get it. The guy loves to dance, and he's he's sharing that. He's with a good us. dancer too. Yeah, like making, yeah, and it's like like Odell Beckham. I remember I I used to go to Arizona State. He would come to the gym because he has a house in Scottsdale. And you see Odell Beckham at the gym? I didn't see him at the gym. I, I missed him. I was um, I was 500 yards away from him. I just didn't think to go to the gym because I didn't ever imagine Odell Beckham would be there. <laughs> at the but gym. He was playing basketball with ASU students and, and doing like spectacular dunks and stuff. Because he's yeah, OBJ. Yeah, we didn't accuse him of, of liking basketball more than football. Right. <laughs> he's, not, he's not a basketball sexual just because he's playing <laughs> basketball in public. So why is dancing in public... Se- and why is dancing a gay thing? You're right, exactly. <laughs> like, like, why am I... I'm speaking as though it's just the equivalent of being... Like, dancing in gay or just... Nobody was accusing Cam Noon or Travis Kelsey of being gay because exactly. they did touchdown yeah, dances. exactly. People just... Yeah. People don't like Cam's dancing either. It's a, that's a which, big which problem. Is, which is a separate issue within itself, I think, <laughs> within the, uh, the 
the finger wagging community. Yeah, for um, sure. But nobody said anything when like Travis Kelsey was doing the Kwani. Travis Kelsey is a better dancer than than Cam Newton. Oh yeah, I think I think Travis Kelsey, <coughs> Travis Kelsey definitely hit that Kwan. Oh, it was you could you very could, hard. You could see you could see the flow and the rhythm, and that is inherent within Travis Kelsey, Kelsey's being. And I think had he not done that, I don't know if the Chiefs are in the playoffs right now. If I could, make that's a the jump. turning point. It's yeah, a turning I think point. I think that's definitely a season turning point, and I think maybe Cam should dance a little less. You know, <laughs> maybe he's maybe he's a little overkill, and maybe. Maybe that's why they couldn't pull can we, out of... Can we talk about how Cam, Cam dabbing was probably the high point of that dance, and then it went downhill so quickly? Oh, yeah. I can say... I think I can say... I hope I'm not offending any of the rest of us, but as a white guy, we ruined the dab it's immediately. It's so bad. It's we, so took, bad. we took the dab... And it is now a fixture at our parties. It just, it doesn't make sense. It's, it's Grandmas and grandpas yeah, are bringing up the dab. And Andy Reid did the dab in the locker room, which was spectacular. But I, I don't think from where the dab came from and where it is now, it... <laughs> it, it made a precipitous it a, drop it, in, yeah, in like three I, weeks. I think that's the best way of... I, we really, we, we took the I don't think I've ever down. seen any pop culture stable fall so fast as the dab. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, you think about, like, if we're t- going to talk strictly about dances, like, think about something like the Dougie. That's still a thing. Like, and the white, Dougie, people, white people got the Dougie. It's still a thing, because the, like, five years later. The thing is, dabs are easy to do. You just kind of, you kind of look like you're I sneezing. Think I think that's true. The Dougie's hard to do. It's hard to pull off. And I think us, us white people who can't dance... That's exactly what we're looking for, and we'll we'll ruin it in a in a goddamn. Second. That's what ha- it, that's exactly what happened though. Like, yeah. the dab is an easy thing to do. You stick you, you look like you're sneezing a little bit, and, and, it, you and stick it requires your no talent. There, it requires no talent, so anybody can do it. And immediately, Andy Reid does it. Uh, just everybody does it, and it's just dead, just beaten into the ground. And I just don't want to ever see anybody dab ever again. Cam's definitely not going to dab again. Like. You're never gonna see Cam do a dab again because, like, it just—it's just lame now. Well, yeah, I think, I think Cam's gonna hit us with something even better next year. Um, I think he's gonna continue. Well, unless unless he decides that after this loss he's got to stop. You know, does one of those like things where it's like, oh, I, I, I guess can't. the dancing was distracting, even though it really wasn't. I hope he doesn't because right. it's fun. Like every I love every I mean, time I love he that. scores, I want to see what he's gonna do. Right. Because it's just it's just fun. It's like Odell. It's like any any other athlete. Who loves to dance? Yeah, it's, it's fun. It's like the, it's like a bat flip in baseball. Like, yeah, exactly. It's just a f- like fun. Another thing. thing that people get upset about too. Which That's is so one of the most stupid. fun things that can happen in a baseball game. Jose Batista throwing his bat was the best thing that happened in baseball. Absolutely, and I and as a Yankees fan, I'm not very fond of Jose Batista. Batista. And I screamed when he did that because it was flip. awesome. I scream, a scream of joy, not of anger. Because you just see him dripping with swag after that, and you're just like, yeah. yes. There's there's nothing better than than when an athlete just decides to decides to put on and and just give us a show after they score. Well, and I mean, it was a huge score, moment too. Yeah, it was a game tying home run in the playoffs. Like there was a lot of emotions already going through that. Make it a memorable. Like if Jose Batista hypothetically ever gets a statue in Toronto, that's going to be the moment that they're gonna that they're gonna immortalize forever. <laughs> They'll have a statue made of. Made of steel, where the bat is out of his hand with a thin wire connecting <laughs> yeah. it, so it looks as though it's floating. And I, I think on that same vein, and to kind of touch back on Odell, I think Odell, with his 
ridiculous behavior and his, and his targeting and losing his temper made us, or kind of robbed everyone and himself of a great moment when he scored on Josh Norman and he did the he Allen stepped, Iverson step over. He did the he Allen just, Iverson step over. Oh, it was so which, great. Granted, I'm a Giants fan and I'm biased, but I think aside from the step over itself, that's the best thing it was, I've ever seen. It was it was so it was so emphatic. And so just it was he scored, he got up and he just, just AI hey, step over. First thing. Great. Like he that is something that like once the trash talking was happening, once he saw the baseball brats and warm, he was like I'm going to do this. Yeah. Like, it's going to happen. And, and for those of you listening who don't know what we're talking about, just type into YouTube, Allen Iverson, he steps over... Tyron Lue! Tyron Lue, and it must be the Marv Albert call. It is one of the <laughs> single best sports videos ever. And I'm, and I'm not a big NBA fan, and I just... The endorphins start flowing, and I get chills when I watch this video. Oh, of Allen so Iverson good. on his way to I, what I think was a five-game loss in the finals... <laughs> Emphatically stepping over and disrespecting Teron Liu. Who's like a very well-respected dude. And yeah, and he's a he's an assistant coach for the Cavs right now. Yeah. The most highest paid assistant coach in the league. Yeah, LeBron right that's LeBron James's dude. Yeah. Um <laughs> to see AI do that to him and then to see OBJ reference to see OBJ that. reference it is amazing. Oh, it's so perfect. Um I mean speaking of the NBA, uh I've been I've been kind of getting starting to get back on that bandwagon. Um, slowly, slowly and steadily this year, uh, with, uh, admittedly, I'm kind of a little bit of a bandwagon Celtics fan. I've been following and hoping that they, uh, they've been getting good draft picks, uh, over the last couple of years, uh, with, with the Jabari Parker and Andrew Wiggins draft. Obviously that didn't work out. We got Marcus Smart, who's, you know, a fine player and will probably end up being a, a pretty decent player at the, uh, NBA level, uh, but uh, I, I, with with Isaiah Thomas coming in the Celtics last year, really kind of being a spark plug, uh, I've been starting to, to follow the Celtics again because it looks like they're going to be uh, they're going to be something. Hopefully, yeah, I'm definitely hopeful for the. And I think I don't think any particular. Well, Isaiah obviously is fun to watch. He's what is he five eight five nine? Yeah, listed at five nine. He's probably a little shorter than that based on what I know about the NBA. He is he's just electric to watch, and it's so funny to see someone who. He's like your size or shorter. Like he's shorter than me. He's a little closer to your size. Right. You know, to do those things, it's insane. And I think I'm a little different for why I'm coming back. I I had a period of being a a very dedicated Celtics fan, and the emotional blow of of Kendrick Perkins' torn ACL, that and, was... and Rasheed Wallace just being a, a cancerous influence on the. On the 0-9-10 Celtics, yeah. was that the season? Yeah, I think so. That seven-game final series versus the Lakers just emotionally knocked me out of the NBA, and I couldn't come back for a while. But I think we we have such a new generation of stars now, as we're watching like the Hardens and the, and even the, the Chris Daffs of the world, the Chris Dapses of the Porzingad, world. God. Yeah, the, the, Porz, the, the, the God Zingus. <laughs> the Latibian gangbanger. Yeah, the 3-6 Latvia, as uh, as Jason Concepcion would have it. I think there's, there's a reason to be an NBA fan again. Right. And I think another reason is kind of because some of the other leagues are getting a little ugly <laughs> these yeah. days. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, <coughs> the NBA's biggest star right now is Steph. Far and away, oh, LeBron yeah. obviously has longevity, but Steph right now is by far is just at a peak right now. Uh, and I think the reason everybody loves Steph is 
He's not this, like, hyper, like, he's not a Russell Westbrook who, like, you can see every vein popping out of his arms. He just kind of looks like a guy, he's, he looks like that guy at the gym that we saw that one time who was just better than everybody. And he, and he also, he doesn't, I mean, to reference Russ specifically, I love Russ, he's amazing to watch, but Russ loses his temper a lot and kind of freaks out and it's kind of like, okay, Russ, calm down. He's also like, just like, he's like Flash on the yeah, court. Like we, he, we see Steph now and he's this... Just this family guy who's who's like in the media, who's who, who's clever. He's like he's in on our pop culture jokes. He's he, for us, he's, and he's very self aware yeah. about it too. And for us, he's kind of like he's a member of our generation, us like new millennial yuppies. Like he's, I guess he's twenty seven right 20, now, twenty six, twenty seven. Yeah, yeah. He's he's he gets it. He's he's like our defining star that is part of our generation right now. And the thing that the things that he do does on the court, like everybody has had a game where they've just gone off from three. Mm-hmm. Like I've had that game. You've probably had that game. <laughs> All of my friends have had that game. And then they after we have that one game, and then we just don't Omri, stop shooting Omri threes. Caspi just had that game. <laughs> See? Steph. Yeah, we've had that. We we have those friends when we play pickup. And they just yell Steph and just throw up like a. Oh, exactly. I was playing pickup with my with my cousins the other day, and I and I said that I was uh, I was Steph's cousin Steven because I, I was doing high <laughs> off the backboard layups every time I got a chance. It's like just... Steph does things that like are incredible, but they seem like things that like are like delusionally plausible for us to do. Like oh yeah, like, it's like it's like everything Steph does is it is, seems is an Odell catch right like. Ev- Everybody's made a one-hand catch play yeah. football at some point. Yeah. And been like and, and has been able to trash talk and whatever. Yeah. Everybody has had that one crossover where they get make the guy fall down, and then you drain a fadeaway three yeah. or whatever. Everything stuff does seems uh implausibly, like delusionally attainable. We know we can't do it, but it seems like close but enough. If we could just do it once, once with one person watching, and we, <laughs> can, and then we can forever say that we're Steph Curry. Yeah, exactly. Um, the thing, like the things that LeBron does on the court. They're just not possible. They're you not can't, f- well, because LeBron, that's the thing about Steph is that, and I, and I, for such a long time, I said, I don't understand Steph Curry because he looks like a little boy. He looks like me. Like, he he looks like... He, he looks like a guy He who, goes to the gym and he just shoots. He doesn't lift. Like, the guy just works on his craft. And I've realized, like, that's the beauty of it. Like, LeBron will run through you and overpower you and dunk on you. And he's a physical freak. And that's fun to watch, but when you have someone like Steph who can just through the skill of the game, kind of almost like a like a Messi. Like, Steph's the Messi and LeBron's the Ronaldo. Like The absurdly the, gifted yeah, guy. Yeah, just the guy who you you see his childhood tape and you're like, this he's guy's been doing this the right. whole time. Like, if, if only he's, he were a little Leonardo taller. He's the Leonardo DiCaprio yeah, like, yeah, of, uh, of uh, yeah. the <laughs> yeah, We've seen Leo, Leo be, be the star since Titanic when he was like this teenager. Um, except... Steph already beat Leo to his version of the Oscar. Steph's got the trophy already, and he's just getting... Like, Steph really broke out, I guess, two years ago if you were paying attention. But last year, if you're a mainstream fan like me, that's when Steph hit you. And he, he's he, already... He's at the top immediately. Yeah. And it, it, it helps that we're in, like, this Vine era where you go on Twitter... And all these things that Steph... The NBA is perfect for Vine. Everything, yeah. all the highlights are consumable in six seconds or less. Mm-hmm. And you see just Steph doing, like, ridiculous things. The crossover of Chris Paul this year. Oh, yeah. Uh, the things where he just, like, dribbles... Invariably dribbles through his legs and then just throws up the ball near the hoop and somehow, like, it well, bounces yeah. in. Steph is one of those guys where he, he's reached that level of fame. 
and he has that incredible just gift where anything he does can become a meme in 10 seconds. He right. can he can make you into a meme. He can create a meme with something funny he does intentionally. Or he's, Riley. Yeah, he, or something that Riley does. He's he's like a Drake. He's like a he's transcended LeBron, I think in the NBA. I think because I think LeBron after the heat kind of kind of ruined himself and became the guy that we all love to hate rather than the guy we were rooting for. for, for I to, think that, and I think that's the I think that's the narrative for LeBron in the in the mainstream for a lot of mainstream NBA fans. Yeah. I, I've always personally been a LeBron fan because I've just admired his physical prowess and his ability oh, yeah. to just do the ridiculous. And I and I think realistically, like, I'm of the mind that we kind of have to... I know no one wants to put him up there with Jordan, but I think we have to kind of just say that, like, maybe at, they're 1A and 1B. At the end of the day, when, when LeBron hangs it up, he's probably going to win another couple championships. He's going to be up there. Yeah. It's inevitable. Yeah, for um, sure. And we're gonna have a we're gonna have an ugly debate on our hands until someone else until the end of time until until Ben Simmons comes up and he, he's somehow like this ridiculous person or some Which some would be 12, amazing to watch or Le, or LeBron James Jr. comes up and he he becomes the next LeBron. It, actually, I hadn't thought of this, but what what if LeBron James Jr. is not good? <laughs> what if he's like a, what if he's there's, like there's a Patrick probably, Ewing Jr. There's, or, there's probably a decent chance that happens. Like LeBron, I. They're, they're like highlight tapes and mixtapes of LeBron's kid on YouTube, but he seems like he's a pretty good player for his age. Yeah. I guess we can't know. But that, man, boy, would that suck. Huh? It, would, it, would be a, it would be a disappointment. <laughs> it's like a, Tony Gwynn Jr. Is, is, a, is a quadruple yeah, A player in the MLB. Another one. Um, I don't know. I mean, Steph is such a... He's such a... He's such a rel- he's such a relatable superstar, which is it seems like an yeah, oxymoron. I mean, that's part, well, that's part of him being part of our, our generation. Like he's the type of guy where you just like it. Do- I mean, and we can't know. Like maybe he is, but it doesn't seem like he's putting on this persona, and it doesn't really seem like he cares if we like him or not. He doesn't. But seem we like just he's trying do because he's a good guy. He doesn't seem like he's trying too hard. And I think that's another reason that people get mad at LeBron because LeBron seems like he just cares so. Damn much he's like, about he's a machine. Yeah. Like his his whole persona is part of this machine that seems to be it seems to have been created since he was a teenager. Yeah, being on Sports Illustrated as a sophomore in high school, which like putting that in context, that's insane. Oh yeah, you, nothing can prepare you for that. I would say. Uh, and so it just seems like we've been like fed LeBron. It's the same reason why people hate Bryce Harper because he was on Sports Illustrated as a sophomore, junior in, in high school. We've been fed this narrative that LeBron James is the ne- is the next. Michael Jordan, he's going to be the next great thing, uh, and and people don't want to take in that narrative, the narrative that the media has been feeding us for however many years. Steph seems like this very natural thing that's just kind of exploded. He came out of Davidson, he played three years there, uh, was the NCAA tournament star, and he naturally came up, and then he kind of scrubbed around for a couple of years, was okay, and then suddenly he became uh, a, a very very good player, and then he became a superstar. He became the top player of, I mean the. Probably the biggest rise in terms of uh, in terms of stardom in the last year. Yeah, and I think I think right now you've got to consider him the second best player in the NBA. I think he might he might be the best player in the NBA. Yeah, I think uh, that's hard because he's just. I, there's definitely a case to be made, and like, really, who am I to say? But I just I don't think you can dethrone LeBron yet. Maybe in like a sm- in small sample. If you size, consider a small sample size, the best player in the NBA. I think LeBron has that longevity, and he's just he's LeBron. Like he, every night he could put up a historic performance. But I think we also got to look at like 
really, the whole Cavs super team was an overwhelming failure, if you think about it. Like, the way they tried to surround LeBron with talent just imploded. Kyrie's been injured. Kevin Love is no longer Kevin Love in that system. Exactly. They don't fit together. And then the rest of their roster is... Kind of just a bunch of J.R. Smith role players. Yeah. Yvonne Schumpert. Yeah. I mean, Schumpert's a good player. J.R. Smith, we know who J.R. Smith is at this point. But <laughs> he, had, like, he had a quote the other day that uh, his his uh, his range is in the gym. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which kind of which kind of tells you all you need to know about J.R. Smith. Yeah, that's that's a pretty wild one. I think we need to leave comments like that to uh to Steph I would say because he's proven it or and, and LeBron and even sometimes Kevin Love I mean Kevin Love has has done some ridiculous things in terms of like full court shots and yeah um but the it's like the the, the Cavs super team is different from from the Heat in that LeBron and Wade played off each other incredibly well like there was mm-hmm. a on-court chemistry there uh and, and their skills complemented each then, other and then Bosch was so such a uniquely talented seven-footer. He's incredibly he was, versatile. That he was able to fill so many roles that he didn't... Like, Bosch could just be he could, a role well, player right, on that on, team. On one night, he could be, like, a defensive superstar and just yeah. put up, like, ten blocks. And now we look at him this season, and he's, he's great. star of that team. I mean, Wade's actually had a revival year as well without LeBron. But there. Bosch, Bosch is so versatile. He, he's a Swiss army knife of a superstar. Oh, yeah. Um, and he's, com- he's going to be completely underappreciated because of his role as the third it, fiddle yeah, on and that. And his legacy is, I think, unjustly permanently damaged. Because if you think about it, the Bosch... Bosch had the way Bosch more to lose. joined the super team... Was, was a top the, ten player in the, the NBA. Was probably the third best player in the NBA. Right, he, when he was he with the Raptors. Yeah, he was he was a guy that you thought of as like, how does he do what he does at seven feet? Right, like, he was shooting long two. He was uh, he was a lefty Dirk to a certain yeah. extent without the, the with three, more athleticism, but too. but and without the three point shot, but he he could still do a little bit of three right, point but it, it wasn't. And he's gotten extent. better, and he's gotten better. But I mean, Bosch is such a unique skill set that he was just kind of able to fill the whatever the Cavs the the Heat need on any given night. And if we want to talk about images in the NBA, Bosch is another one of the most to touch on the Odell things to one of the most enigmatic characters, one of the biggest memes around. Yeah. Like <laughs> I mean when he was with Toronto he had all the, the used car salesman campaigns to get him in the All Star game and um I mean he's he's a incredibly personable guy and he's But he, then he's another guy who like because he's looks like a dinosaur. He's kind of like this wacky, this wacky character who like who makes weird faces at the cameras. Who, who kind of looks like yeah, an ostrich. Who does some weird dances. Who's got a very. I think it's important that a superstar has a unique look to them too. Yeah. Just to, just to do a little like Odell came in and you're has like, the, wait a minute, none of these other rookies have blonde perms. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like none of them. It's not. It's not even just a blonde perm. It's like a. It's like a wacky, crazy, over the oh, top. Yeah. I mean, and perm. that's that's gone up. That's like it's and it's. He's been, taken some liberties with that since the fame hit. I think post catch, he decided he didn't need to cut his hair anymore, which is fine. I think it's fun, but I think you look at you look at Bosch. He looks like a dinosaur. We can say that. I don't think I'm a or an ostrich. The bo- exactly, or the Bostrich, as as people would say. LeBron is <laughs> has a ridiculous hairline. And wears a headband all the time. Well, he had that weird period of not wearing a headband, but I, I don't feel comfortable about that. I really, like, I feel like the headband is, like, a signature LeBron thing. 
I, yeah, I think he has to wear, and it became that weird like narrative, like oh, the LeBron without the headband is the guy who can win the. And finals. it was also weird for that really brief period when he was shooting train wreck, where they added like he got a he his hairline went back down yeah. for the movie, yeah, and then it receded again. Yeah, I think, and I think, I think that was him. I don't think that was Trainwreck's productions. I don't think they care about his hairline. Maybe they needed to make him younger for the. For the context of the movie, I haven't I haven't seen it, but I, I understand the plot well enough. To th- yeah, yeah. I, I heard, and I, I'm curious to see. And I, it's cool to see, like, when you look at the the cast list, it just says LeBron James, James. and <laughs> he had a huge role in it. He wasn't yeah. just like a cameo. Yeah, he, he was a straight a, he, up supporting actor. He was a yeah. straight up supporting actor. Yeah. Like, and he has acting chops and his comedy chops. Um, and he's clearly they're clearly going to remake Space Jam at some point with him. Mm, yeah, and he's got, the, with him or Steph. Or both. Or both, yeah, yeah that was I sick. I think at this point it's a both. Um, I mean, and LeBron has the, uh, like, the weakest part of Space Jam is MJ. Like, he has, he doesn't have, he just, like, doesn't have the acting chops. LeBron has the acting chops. Yeah. They're, they're gonna make Space Jam, and it's gonna be awesome. And I, I think Steph would, too. And, I, and that's another guy. Steph looks like a little boy. <laughs> like, Steph he, looks, is, he looks like a middle schooler trying to grow out. Yeah, compared, compared grow out to... Beard. Asterisk on that. Compared to the rest of the NBA, where the average height is like six six, and everyone is an enormous man, Steph looks and, like a little. And boy. everybody is completely ripped. And uh, he's just and he's just the sneaky the sneaky little boy dribbling around them, shooting threes, just throwing. We've them up. all seen somebody who looks like Steph. Like I said this before, but we've all seen somebody who looks like Steph at the gym. Yeah, the the, the skinny kid who just drops three. Like he he gets picked last, and he just drops threes. Yeah. I've had, I've had guys like that, and they and they don't have half the personality <laughs> Steph has, you know. Yeah, um, I mean, so I mean, Steph has been uh, has Steph has been probably the biggest rise in terms of profile in all of sports, I think, this year. Um, For sure. But taking a look at uh, you're you're a, a film major mm-hmm. at Emerson uh, Emerson College in Boston. Yes, I am. Uh, and I am uh, a film minor at my at my respective school, um, and so. What what have for you have been some of the uh, the things that you have watched and consumed in terms of pop culture uh, and celebrity um, that you that you've kind of seen in terms of maybe rising profile or celebrity? I think you'd be remiss, and I think yeah, we're for sure not the first podcast to mention this. I know for a fact that that Rembert has probably said something about this at length. You cannot talk about 2015 pop culture without addressing Hotline Bling. Oh, I yes! I am currently, as we record this, wearing a turtleneck, and it's and it's almost still you've, unacceptable. You've got, you've got a little bit of a Simon Garfunkel vibe going on right now. And and that might be the case, and, and maybe someday people will consider it a Drake vibe. Maybe I can transcend to that level, but if we had to talk about the one pop culture moment this year that transcended it all, it is Hotline Bling. It was Drake's first. It, uh, it would have been Drake's first number one hit if uh, if Apple Music views counted towards the Billboard 100. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and Drake has never had like a huge mainstream. Like he's always been huge in, in the rap. And, and every album that he that he drops is an event. Climbs the charts. And right. Event. But it's, yeah. But he's never had one song that my mom can be like, oh. That's that song where that guy is dancing with the phone in, in the fake phone in his hand. Or that, in my case, my philosophy professor asked us 
in terms of Nietzschean philosophy, what was the most masterful move made in pop culture this year? And I answered Hotline Bling, and I was right. That is what it's he true. was talking about. Because it, the Hotline Bling basically... Everybody has some sort of opinion about Drake if you follow, if you even vaguely oh, yeah. follow pop culture. Um, and Hotline Bling was the first time where Drake was like, yeah, I get it. I'm kind of a dorky dude. And, and it's and it's really good to see a rapper do that because with kind of the hip-hop climate as it is, like so much of It's a dig measure contest. Yeah, and it's, it's just such a, it's so much of it can get so unattractive with like, just like. The violence of the culture and the chauvinism of the culture, and just and like, I think that's changing whole, a lot. And though, people with, get with, lost in the bravado, and and Drake is not Drake's not innocent by any measure. I mean, just that. listen to you just listen to pretty much any of his songs, really. or any, anything that he he used to diss Mc, or uh, even, Bill. even Hotline Bling. If we if we really want to go in on it, is probably <laughs> probably problematic from a feminist perspective. Yeah, but it's like most of hip hop music. Yeah, yes. like most of hip hop music. But that's a conversation for another time. But if we look at Hotline Bling, it's like, it's just so nice to see a rapper show some self-awareness and know that he's, he's doing something ridiculous. And, and everybody, know, everybody was like, everybody kind of thought that Drake is a little bit of a dork. Like, he, yeah. he was on Degrassi, yeah. he played a kid in a wheelchair, and yeah. then he somehow became this, like, he somehow was able to put that behind him and be this, this big bravado rapper. And it almost feels like, a, like for everyone who loved that part of Drake... It's like a gift directly to us, like Drake saying... Just all hey, the gifts. Hey, nerdy fans, this is for you. And the gifts for the rest of time. We will always have Drake make, doing his incredibly... Like, the dances that Drake does in the video, that's how I dance at parties. Yeah. Like, let's be real. That's, that's just what it is. It's, that, it's the way... And this is, this is just to avoid plagiarizing. This is what Rembrandt said. That's the way you dance with your friends... When you think that no one else is watching. That's you at your friend's house. That's not you in a club. That's not you in a bar. That's you just dancing at your friend's house. Right. And he did it for... That's, that's Odell Beckham dancing. I bet a billion individual people have seen that video. Yeah. Maybe more. I don't know. I guess there's, there's over 7 billion... Hotline Blink comes up on the radio and my mom, who is completely uh, unattached to pop culture, would go, Oh! 1-800-Hotline Bling! Yeah, exactly. It's, it, talk about... Talk about a guy who can make anything a meme, <laughs> like a Steph or, or something like that. Like, it's just. And I feel like I feel like that it. video, the the message and the the vibe that that video's that the video gives off, kind of encapsulates our generation in that people appreciate self awareness and making like self deprecation, but they also there's also the humble brag. I think we're like the humble brag generation as well. Yeah, uh, and uh, and. It, it, it was it was just incredibly refreshing to see to to see Drake do that of all people, um, and, and kind of make fun of himself like everybody does on a daily basis when he's airballing three pointers in a Kentucky oh basketball my God, game. Yeah, the, th- the things we hate about Drake versus <laughs> the things we love about Drake, or the things we love to hate about Drake. Yeah, I don't think because I used to be I was a major Drake hater. I I, I didn't never, get it. I didn't understand the self awareness was there. Right. And then once it presented itself, I was like. This is a guy that I can get behind. Right. I was never... I'm still not the biggest fan of Drake's music. And I listen, to a, ton of, and I listen to a ton of hip-hop. Um, like, Kendrick Lamar's The Pimp Butterfly is by far the best hip-hop album of the year, I think. But... Uh, and I, I don't think that's some sort of crazy opinion. But... Mm. Um, but... I've been warming up to Drake over the last three years. I had a friend my freshman year at BU. Uh, 
who turned who was who's basically the biggest Drake fan in the world. He's a big hip hop uh, consumer and blogger, and, and he thinks a lot about this stuff. And he's he, Drake is basically his favorite artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't get it, <clears throat> but it's like there's a reason why he he had transcended pop culture this year, uh, w- especially with Hotline Bling, and, and why the the Meek Mill feud blew up and everybody was. Literally for literally for a week, my whole Twitter feed was sports and people waiting for for Drake to drop uh, a comeback against Meek Mill. And I think part of that is like a lot of hip hop culture, unfortunately these days. And there are exceptions like like Kendrick, and to a lesser extent, like the J Cole's of the world. J Cole doesn't really get into the the really the darker, deeper type of content that Kendrick yeah. does. He he touches on it, but he's more he's more of like the everyman's rapper. Sure. But to to kind of break out, as we've been saying, of just, like, the shell of of just pretty shitty, really shallow hip-hop. And, like, even though, like, yeah, a Twitter feud with Meek Mill where, where they're just taking shots at each other, it's not deep. But to see, like, legitimate cleverness and just wit in that type of exchange. Right. And then also to kind of hilariously see Meek Mill just crash and burn trying to come back th- at and it. And I think... I think the wit that Drake displayed, it, it it underlies how much people of our generation value that. I think oh, yeah. I think wit has so much uh, cultural cur- currency, and it means so much to be witty and smart. And especially within the, I mean, as as Shakespeare allegedly said, brevity is the soul of wit. And when you can when you can crunch so much, just like punch. so much into a yeah, so much punch into into one little like two line rhyme. That just pretty much in, it, it annihilated just, Meek Mill. It his career is over. Mill. Basically, it, it's done. Like I will, I can never look at Meek Mill <laughs> seriously again after all the memes, after listening to back to back a thousand times. Like the fact that he was accused of not writing his own songs, and then who knows? Maybe he didn't even write back to back. I like to think he did, and he wrote it just so well and so clever. And then Meek Mill even admitted after it sounds like he wrote it. Yeah, like. That that's just the biggest winner. Of, like Drake won twenty fifteen. I think we can conclude. Like Drake's probably first, and Steph's probably second. I, w- I then, would put Kendrick in that conversation, though. Yeah, I think I think to Pimp Butterfly had a cultural currency. And, and, but I think, unfortunately, when you when you choose to deal with something as deep as Kendrick is choosing to deal with, you are not going to get the same recognition right. as something fun because. People don't want to think. People about don't want that. to have that conversation. Right. People don't want to think about that. And as important as that album was, I haven't listened to every song multiple times. But I mean, "Black of the Berry," of course, was the main one that blew up, and that was and King, King, King Kunta. Yeah, and King Kunta, and they were both intensely relevant at the time, given like the social climate. I think it it sucks. Even though I'm sitting here declaring Drake the out and out winner as living proof of what I'm about to say. People, people want a break, and I think people a lot of the time they go to media like music and pop culture stuff like movies to get a break. And probably ninety percent of consumers don't really want to have to like think about turn serious. off the news, turn on their iPod, and think about the same thing. And think about Michael Brown. Yeah, and, and think about Tamir Rice. Exactly. Well, and I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. I right. think you should want to no, I completely to agree the with tougher that. music. I think you you should want to be I think, challenged by And media. I think pop culture is often a reference for where we are in certain times. And at the end of the day, I think 
to Pinball Butterfly is going to have much more social value and historical value than Hotline Bling ever does. Oh, absolutely. Um, but if you're thinking in the in the smaller social context, uh, any immediate impact, I think Hotline Bling is obviously the winner. Yeah, I mean when you. When you open up your textbook and you read about Hotline Bling in 20 years, it's going to be about how how transmedia pieces can just transcend everything right. and, and, and captivate the world. But if you, in the same period, in that same hypothetical textbook, you look back at Kendrick's album, you're going to read about how like it's media that, and music right. can represent the times perfectly. Right. Right. Which I think we can say, Hotline Bling... Doesn't really <laughs> do that. Turtlenecks in in a modern art background. I the name of the artist is escaping me right now. But the whole right. like, colorful background right. is a reference on right. some some modern art. That's that's not going right. to stand the test of time. Right. Um, so, so moving past those the the rap winners of 2015. What for you were some of the best things that you saw in terms of movies, TV shows, whatever? Best thing that I saw, I guess you know, recording this. Recording this podcast in downtown Boston, we'd be remiss not to talk about Spotlight. Yeah, Spotlight. Spotlight was probably um, my favorite movie of the year. I so I this year I kind of made an effort to go to the movies a lot, and quite the opposite of what I've been doing. <laughs> uh, and I think I've been to the movies at least uh, twenty times at this point. Um, and yeah, and I, sp- <laughs> I spent way too much money, and it was a product of me. Uh, being in Spain and being bored sometimes and just want to go to the movies. Um, but uh, Spotlight, my favorite movie of the year. Uh, it was so well acted. On, I mean, the whole cast was just magnificent. Uh, Mark Ruffalo is one of my favorite actors, period. And he, he's really had a he's had a McConaughey esque without the fanfare right type of. Talk about Drake. Talk about anyone coming up. Mark Ruffalo in the past five years has right. Really he's made a huge. He's made and he does. Like he's never gonna be, he's never gonna be Leo because he's not handsome enough. Like <laughs> that's that's yeah, just the fact. Yeah, I guess. But so, he's yeah. he's he does the <laughs> Ruffalo thing so well. He commits to something, and then he goes full out. And he's spectacular with characters who have odd mannerisms. To speak to Foxcatcher and Spotlight in particular, I don't know even even Bruce Ban- Banner, like being the Hulk. Like the Hulk has is a very yeah, quirky a, a superhero. Very weird guy. It's a very quirky superhero, um, and he plays Michael Resendez. Uh, the Boston Globe reporter in Spotlight, and if you watch an interview with Michael Resendez, he nails all the quirks. He's 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 got an eye for it, uh, and he's able to nail down mannerisms. And uh, you just kind of forget that he's Mark Ruffalo, um, and I think that's the the biggest compliment you can pay for an actor. I definitely think so, especially because for me, until until really seeing Foxcatcher. I always thought of Mark Ruffalo as the really annoying guy in 13 Going on 30, and I could not, I couldn't separate him from that. That part, it was like a McConaughey rom-com type thing. Like right. It just, it had ruined him for me, just because of my own, I don't know what was putting me off of him. Just something, something went wrong in my head, and I couldn't think of Mark Ruffalo as a serious actor. And then I saw Foxcatcher with him playing, I don't, one of the Schultz brothers, I don't remember uh, which Dave one. Dave Schultz. Dave Schultz, yeah. And that, he just played it so well, and he just like, in a movie with, with so little dialogue and a movie that was so nuanced, and the and the tone was so dark. Yeah, and it just and it managed to keep you interested the whole time. Um, he he was uh, he was in a movie uh, with Kieran Knightley called Begin Again, mm-hmm. uh, which was created by the the person who created Once, which is the the musical movie that came out. Um, and basically, he plays a, a music producer. 
he's excellent in that movie. He's just able to, he's able to capture very dark things and make them relatable in a way beyond just just uh, the depression and the alcoholism. He's able to make relatable characters who are in terrible situations. Uh, he was in a movie. Uh, this this year that was not you know not necessarily one of my favorites. Uh, it was uh, him and Zoe Saldana in Infinitely Polar Bear, uh, which was di- I mean didn't do re- incredibly well in theaters. But uh, he was he's able to capture these quirky things. He's got this he's got, he's just got an ability to capture quirkiness um, and ticks and mm. that kind of thing. And they're not necessarily all uniform across all the characters. Um, he's not just playing like quirky quirky people. He's mm. playing uh, people who have these. Uh, nuances to them, and he's able to capture those nuances. Maybe quirky is not the right word to describe Mark Ruffalo, but he's very yeah, good I at mean, capturing the nuances of people. I, th- I think we know what you mean by that. Right. Yeah, there's no, you're not, there's no, there's nothing cutting and saying quirky. Right. You know, you're just, it's, it's nuance. This it, is it not is the, this is not like uh, when Zoe Deschanel was like boxing. Quirky, yeah. Boxing Zoe Deschanel, it's, quirky, yeah, it's, yeah. It's not, it's not like that. And I love Zoe Deschanel, um, but it's not like that. Um, I think also kind of sneakily. He was the lead actor in Spotlight. Like, you I, would consider Michael Keaton he, the lead actor in Spotlight? I think they're 1A, 1B. Yeah, but really, you kind of get, I would say, more... You you ask more questions about... Uh, uh, I think... The name is escaping me of, of the character and the actual reporter, but of his character in that Resendez. movie... Resendez. Yeah, Resendez. You're asking more questions about Resendez. You're seeing him in his apartment. You're you're thinking about, like, what the repercussions are. And there's that. also, like... They mention like him and his wife having trouble, but they mm. never actually like delve deep into because it it's completely mm. unrelated to the reporting. Mm. Um, and so you're just like, oh, he's going through some shit right now with his family. But he's still so dedicated, to right? It. And I, I think that's that's I think what makes Spotlight one of the best movies of the year for me is just that they made a two hour and ten minute movie about nitty gritty journalism, just getting answers in a story in a reporting setting and pretty much the whole like maybe the first 15 minutes are a little boring pretty much the whole way you're locked right in right like you see until the end credits and you see all those names and the, all the yeah. places you're just you locked really don't in. even get the perspective too until the end and like this like they're able to create stakes for like unrelatable stakes like you you're into journalism I'm really not, and the stakes were still high for me. Right, like for me, this was straight up journalism porn for two hours. Yeah. Like it was like, holy crap, this is so exciting! Like they're doing this amazing investigative journalism work that every I think every writer at some point strives to do. And I, and I think really from a from kind of a narrative perspective, and especially considering that that most films need to kind of follow the formula and have all this action in the middle, the fact that they were able to make such a good, such an engaging film. With really not a lot of action, like the, the most action is like Mark Ruffalo running across the street. Exactly, and like there, there's some there's some very cutting, very painful dialogue within the the victim interview portions. The, the sure. you know the people portraying the victims there aren't actual. If you haven't seen the movie, there aren't actual victim interviews, right. but there are fictionalized reenactments of them. That's really the most action you get in a movie. Right. Comes from dialogue, right. and that is really hard to do successfully. Right. right. And I think, I mean, granted, I'm more of a a dialogue thinker. You know, I really like dialogue heavy films, so it might not be the case. And I and I think Spotlight isn't isn't a movie for the whole nation. It's yeah. a movie for people who are ready to watch it. Right. And, and 
for for me, my one of my favorite. Like I love Ruffalo and I love Keenan in this movie. Lee F. Schreiber as Marty Baron is awesome. As oh yeah, he he doesn't have that many scenes. He's just, but you always just kind of feel his presence in the movie. Like you mm. know, you feel his influence over everything that's happening. He says a couple lines at the beginning to Keaton uh, about the Spotlight team and and what he thinks the purpose of the Spotlight team should be. And you feel that presence of Marty Baron from Lee F. Schreiber throughout the whole movie. And he and that's another character in the movie, much like much like Ruffalo, where you you ask questions about him. Like you, they keep you interested in sort of a peripheral character. Even though there's really, really not much going on from a narrative perspective. Sure. You know, it is it is a non-fiction film that really doesn't seem like it was even dramatized that much. I, I can't really believe that they dramatized it that much. There's nothing that it much wasn't too dramatic. dramatic yeah. You know? There's nothing like, too uh, dramatized. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it just, it, it really just blows my mind. Because I, like five minutes or so in, I was like, oh, is this just going to be two hours of reporting? And it was, but I wasn't disappointed. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, it, for, uh, I saw um, All the President's Men for the first time this year, mm. um, and people generally regard that movie as the the top of the class in terms of journalism movies. This one was right up there with it. Uh, I mean, Redford and and uh, and, and um, uh, uh, Dustin Hoffman as, as uh, Bernstein, um, they're excellent in that movie. This movie kept me on my seat more than it, than All the President's Men did. Um, and that probably has to do a little bit with the times and that, you know, All the President's Men was made 30 years ago um, or 20 years ago, however many years ago. Um, also, Spotlight puts us in a Boston context. Right. So we're and, seeing home. And right. you're someone who's, you've worked for the Globe. I've worked for the Herald, but... Oh, oh. Yeah. Oops. Oops. Oh, no. <laughs> but I mean, cut, like... Cut, cut, <laughs> But, I, I, I mean, I read the Globe all, all throughout, like, growing up, and I still read the Globe, and um, seeing, like, the sights of Boston and being away from home when I saw it, it was a major homesickness kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that I mean, that was one of my favorite movies of the year. Uh, another journalism movie was The End of the Tour, which was Jason Segel playing David Foster Wallace, which I thought was excellent, and Jesse Eisenberg as the reporter. Um... Inside Out was my second favorite movie of the year, which is the Pixar movie. Uh, <laughs> I'm familiar, but I haven't. It seen is it. is so great. Um, my favorite TV show of the year. Um, I know a lot of people love Fargo, and I actually don't watch. I actually I'm tr- I'm starting Fargo season one right mm. now. Um, it's obviously a lot to take in because it's one hour episodes, but uh, beyond what everybody says is Fargo's the best TV show of the year. Uh, beyond everybody saying that, Master of None, uh, Aziz Ansari. So great, um, and Z for me it was I was kind of hesitant going in, going in, and I was kind of curious as to what the show would be about because Aziz and Parks and Rec, Tom Haverford's a nut, like he's crazy, uh, mm. uh, very endearingly crazy, but he's crazy, and that's kind of what Aziz has unfortunately gotten typecast into being. Like yeah, he's, he's he, this zany guy who's never really serious, and and you don't. You don't really feel the nuance in Tom Haverford, and you don't necessarily... I'm, I'm somebody who loves stand-up comedy, too, and so you don't really necessarily feel the nuance in his stand-up, either. It's just kind of going yeah. insane in, in a and million different directions. Yeah, that's, one of my, that's one of my problems, I think. Well, the problem that I used to have with disease, I Master of None has really earned some, some favor with me, because I think he plays a little too much with suspension of disbelief sure. in his stand-up, and just... Like, like, you wonder really if things realize, actually yeah, happen. People, uh, people don't really realize that most of the stories that stand-up comedians use as part of their as part of their shtick are completely fictionalized, and it is just an absurdist trope. Yeah, 
Especially but Louis. Like, especially Louis, who is the king of it and does it immaculately. Yeah. And we can get into that. But for Aziz, he kind of does it a little too much, and you kind of sometimes you're like, really, Aziz? Like, Fifty Cent had never heard of a grapefruit before. Yeah. Like a, a multimillionaire doesn't know what a grapefruit is. Yeah. Come on. But then he he hits you with Master of None, and it's such a. I think quirky is the right word here. Yeah. It's such a just quirky like. It's another thing that it's perfect for millennials. Right. Like you feel like even though he's obviously older than us. You feel like he's part of our generation, and it's a show we want to watch, and it's a, it's something that you watch, and you think, like, man, like, that, I'd live that life. Right. That'd be cool. One of my friends told me, the other, my, uh, Ben Dowdy, one of our, like, mutual, really mm-hmm. good friends, he told me the other day, yeah, I was watching Masters of Now, I was like, holy crap, like, this, like, you could throw a June in there, and he'd be, he'd be fitting. <laughs> <A June. laughs> um, and, and I thought that was, I mean, it's, a. Uh, it's a perfectly, it's an incredibly relatable millennial, millennial show for our generation, I think, mm-hmm. as, uh, as, as a lot of, like, middle-class white or people who have grown up in white neighborhoods are, and are somewhat privileged and are, you know, able to be um, mm-hmm. somewhat oblivious to the... Yeah, it, it has a lot of uh, good kind of, <laughs> like, kind of like Lena Dunham girlsy commentary of just like society stuff that we think are problems like basically just like first world problems yeah. like intense first world problems and that I think it's the third episode where they go back in the past of both of their fathers yeah. and you see where they actually came from as compared to what they're complaining and, about and everybody's and everybody at the dinner is like so entrenched in that and then the, once they leave they're like oh I don't want to hang out with my dad again like yeah, I don't exactly. want to have an actual relationship with him yeah. um and for me, like, as as an Asian-American, seeing Aziz portray the Asian-American experience uh, encapsulating, you know, Eastern Asian and Indian and Indian actors and casting his actual parents as, uh, as his parents on the show, uh, having that portrayed uh, was kind of the perfect capstone to an awesome year uh, for Asian-Americans media, uh, starting off with Fresh Off the Boat. Um, but it was... I mean, there, it has a 100% on Ron Tomatoes, which is ridiculous, mm. um, and I don't necessarily think it's a perfect show at all because I think there's quirky things with the cast. I don't think the acting is necessarily the best, especially as he's his friend crew. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a big Tim and Eric. Tim, I, I have never watched Tim and Eric before. Uh, and I know a Tim and Eric. Uh, Eric Warheim, I assume, is just like a weird dude. I, that's where that's where we have a different opinion because I think Eric's, Eric's just bizarre acting and, like, non-sequiturs are one of the best parts of the show. Oh, it's, I think it's super enjoyable, but I think the 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 friend group as a whole doesn't necessarily have the chemistry. It, it kind of seems a little bit too much of a, an attempt to make it diverse. And it feels a little contrived a <laughs> yeah, little bit. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I don't think Aziz is necessarily the strongest actor either. I think it is... He's not, but it... I don't think you expect him to be, and I don't think he needs to be. Right, either. I don't think he needs to be either. And it, I think it's also... Uh, uh, emblematic of the binge-watching format in that mm. because you can, these are 30-minute episodes and there's only 10 minutes episode, uh, 10 episodes in the first season, you kind of zip through it and you kind of overlook the awkward dynamic in the friend group. Um, mm. Denise is, uh, is, uh, is one of Dev's friends on the show, Aziz's friend on the show, and uh, Brian uh, is, is the is the Asian-American friend. Uh, and I don't yeah. think they're necessarily the strongest actors in the world and they're whole dynamic is a little awkward and feels a little fake. Mm. Um, Noel Wells as, uh, as Rachel is awesome. Mm. Um, who's, she's a former SNL cast member. Uh, yeah. I think to kind of, to kind of touch on that with the acting, I think the best, it's like, 
it's weird because the high production value of the show... It looks like a movie. In these days, yeah. It makes you... Because sort of... I, I tend to think that the, the stationary camera sitcom is, is almost dead. At this point. I think Harry Met Your Mother might have been the last grade. Mul- it, and it might have been. And I'm, I'm not even a. I'm not even a huge fan of it. But I think. I think yes. Like it probably was the last really great one that really affected people and spanned a long time. And I, I and seen. I think Harry Met Your Mother worked because not only was it a. I mean beyond just the format, but it was a really sharply written, smart, multicam sitcom. And I and I think. To I think. Master of None, sort of, in terms of dialogue, I want to say, the word I'm going to use is reads like a multi-camera sitcom, despite its its sort of cinematic production right. value. And I think I think the influence of Louis Louis TV show. On it's, I mean, it's a show that wouldn't have been made had Louis not made right. Made and Louis, I mean, Louis show is is probably one of my favorites. On it's one of my favorites. On I, TV. Uh, I've, I'm, I'm personally of the mind that Louis show. If you enjoy the type of humor I do, which is like dry, just absurdity and satire, I think Louis is as close to perfection as you can get. Because it just goes so absurd and it creates so much absurdity in a universe that feels so real. Mm -hmm. Um, Because of his his very liberal use of long takes and not very many cuts, Mm -hmm. which I I love that. Mm -hmm. Um, Like if I wanted to make a short film, I'd try to create what Louis does. Like I would try to be a Louis copycat. Mm -hmm. Um, But... Uh, the the way that I mean this is basically Aziz's Louis. Um, it's Louis has a much more negative, pessimistic view on the world, and Aziz has a semi. He can be negative, but at the end of the day, it's pretty optimistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and they and they touch on a lot of the same things, I think. Uh, and they obviously the the variety and viewpoint from Louis to Aziz is very evident from the tone of the show. Mm-hmm. I think. And I think it's one of those things where both where both shows. It's. It might be intentional, but like, the acting doesn't match the production value because it is kind of supposed to just be an awkward sitcom that's shot in a different way. Right. Like, like look at Seinfeld, probably the best sitcom ever. I've never watched Seinfeld before. Oh man. Yeah, I've got that. All right, everyone who's ever listened to June's podcast, turn it off right now and just, <laughs> and just stop and never listen again. But Seinfeld, I'll just say, Jerry, Jerry's not a. Very good actor. That's why we don't see him in many things, you know? Like, Jerry Seinfeld's not a great actor. I guess, you know... Uh, Julie Louis-Dreyfus has done the best of the... Of yeah. The, I mean, beyond yeah, just the she's money. The, she's the star of, yeah. the, of the show. And she was she was the, ba- the best actor on the show. Oh, okay. And then... I, and just then started, I started watching Veep, and Veep is brilliant. Yeah, and then... And then... Uh, Kramer, his actual name is escaping me right now. He, I mean, he, he went he's on, just he went, Kramer. That's yeah. what, I and don't even went, know he, his he's name. He's like a, he went on a racist rant. At, yeah, yeah, he's he's that LA. guy. <laughs> we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> and then Jason Alexander, who plays Costanza, he plays that part exceptionally well. But I mean, aside from, I think he was in Shallow Hal with Jack Black. I haven't seen him in anything else. Like those people were not great actors. They were great. They were good comedians who were put in a great situation. By Larry David, and the acting was awkward, but it didn't matter because the show was about being awkward, and that's what Master of None is about, and that's what Louis is about. It's about these awkward sort of. Decon- I feel like it's what our generation is about. Yeah, too. It, everybody's. It's deconstructing and sort of putting under the microscope 
just the shitty little realities of everyday life and of the social sphere of the time. And Seinfeld spoke to our parents' generation, really, and maybe a little bit after. And then these, these, these new Master of Nuns, and even Louis does a good job of kind of speaking to younger people, despite the fact that he's, he's like a bitter, middle-aged 40, yeah. man, you know. And, and Aziz is, is bringing it to a more millennial scope with sort of the same formula. Right. Uh, well, Taylor, we'll have to do this again. I'm sure, we'll, for sure. Yeah, we'll talk again after before I, before we uh, depart for school. Uh, thank you guys for listening. If you guys want to hear more of this, uh, please make sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave us a rating. The ratings and subscriptions really do help us and get the show out to more people. Uh, if you want to follow Tay, Tay on Twitter, uh, it's at uh, Sinner Tay, right? And that's also my Instagram, spelled exactly <laughs> how it sounds: Sinner T A Y. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at I am June Lee. Uh, and make sure to give the the podcast a follow on Twitter as well. We're at Bartolo Pod. Um, tell a friend, please, so we can have more listeners. That would be nice. Uh, and you can also email the show if you have any questions or want us to talk about something uh, at doingitforbartolo at gmail.com. Uh, so until next time, uh, this is June, and uh, have a good one.